Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are here with us tonight. Through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are building this house. Psalm 107 says that unless the Lord builds, the laborers build in vain. We thank you that you are here to build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Lord, we thank you for the ones you are building through. We thank you for our amazing pastors. We thank you for Pastor Rabs and Pastor Tony and their families. We lift them up to you, Lord, and we thank you that you are building through them. Through mighty shepherds that you've put over this house. And as a body, we honor them tonight. And we pray for them. We pray that all grace abounds to them. That them and their families are protected. And Lord, we lift up any need in this house to you tonight. We thank you. You are here to bring truth. You are here to bring healing. You are here to bring breakthrough. You are here to bring change in every area. And we commit tonight to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You have your way. Thank you. Your fire comes tonight and burns up anything that isn't of you. Thank you. You purify us tonight. We love you, Lord. All this is for you. We open our hearts to you tonight. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. 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 Let's give Jesus a hand. Hallelujah. It's good to be with you. Now, um, Welcome to church, especially if this is your first or your second time. A very warm welcome to you, and um, it's great to have you with us. And uh, you can be seated. Now, she'll probably hate me doing this, but it was Pastor Rita's birthday yesterday. So can we just give her a huge round of applause? We thank God for you, what God's doing through you, and what you make possible through your faithfulness your servant-heartedness, you're a great woman of God, a great woman of truth and strength. So let's, let's just give it up for, for Rita one more time. And um, I thought, wow, she's, she's got a lot of sun today. No, it's just embarrassment, that's all. <laughs> that's good. And um, we spoke about it last week that... Um, we are, this week we're going to be sending... Uh, money over to Zambia for uh, them to complete the purchase of land and to build a church. So if you feel led uh, to give to that, please do. Um, but God spoke uh, very clearly, clearly and uh, quite miraculously to Pastor Rabs to reach out to um, a pastor in, in Zambia. His name is Pastor Gideon and he's a mighty man of God as well. Uh, he just moves mightily in deliverance and healing and in the Word of God. And um, he's going to be blessed 
to have a new church building and um, a new yeah a new church for his people and um, it's amazing they send us photos and we should we'll, we'll, we'll arrange some to be put up next week um, but this is outback Africa um, it's it's pretty amazing what, what God's doing there all right who's ready to get into the word awesome so Jesus, I notice when you, when you read the Bible, he likes to uh, boil things down to get to the essence of a matter. His teachings are pretty simple. I know it doesn't always seem like that when we're in the process and reading the Word, especially if we're new to it, but Jesus really does try and simplify things for us. And I'll give you an example. In, in Matthew 22... Uh, they come to him and they say, this is in verse 36, they say, Teacher, which is, the great, which is the great commandment in the law? Like, simplify this for us. You know, there's ten of them, but tell us which is the greatest. And Jesus, he boils it down. He says, uh, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He boils down the whole Old Testament and he says, Hey guys, I'm going to give you in a nutshell. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Keeping it really simple here. Right? He simplifies it. And... He also summarises his call to us in just two words. Just to dis- distill it, to get to the essence of it. You know, when you, you boil something to reduce it, just to get to the core of, of what it is. And he says these two words, and he says it to Andrew, and he says it to Simon Peter, and he says it to Matthew, and he says it to Levi, and he says it to the rich young ruler, and he says it to Philip. And he says these two words, follow me. He summarises down his call to you and I, to the body, to the church, to everyone in two words and those two words are follow me. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Does it mean to confess Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Doesn't mean to put a fish symbol on the back of your car. Doesn't mean to attend church. Doesn't mean to pray and read the word. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because it, it could mean all those things. I don't know about the fish on the back of the car. I don't think that's an essential one. But he says, follow me. He says, follow me. Not just need me, cry out to me, um, get overwhelmed and cry out to, to me, doesn't say sing to me, he says follow me. And all those things we do are part of following him, but to boil it down to the essence of what he wants from all of us is to follow him. And I'm glad we sang that song tonight, I didn't ask him to sing it. 
But I, this morning I was thinking, ah, I'm going to sing that song, and I was singing it to myself. You know, I have decided to follow Jesus. And Pastor Tony walks in right at that instant. <laughs> I said, I'm leading worship tonight. <laughs> but he says, follow me. He says the same things I do, you'll do. Even greater things. What's he inviting us into? What's he inviting us to when he says, follow me? And it can mean, and you can look at it two ways. He could say, follow me, or he could say, follow me. There's two ways of looking at it. But I'm going to focus on the follow me, as in Jesus himself. And the suggestion there is that you can follow him, or you can follow something else, or someone else. You could follow your friends, you could follow the world, you could follow societal trends, you could follow TikTok influences, you could follow um, the culture, you could follow your passions, you could follow your feelings, you could follow every wind of, of doctrine, you could follow a whole bunch of things, but Jesus says, uh, follow me. And that is to the exclusion of everything else. He says, follow me, and by implication he's saying, only me. It's not a, yeah, you can bring all these things with you while you're following me. No. It's like, follow me and only me. And I think the one thing he's, he's really getting to because when we look at all those things, it's really you either follow him or you follow yourself. I think they're the, two, they're the two options we have. We follow Jesus or we follow ourselves. And of course, we're all in a process. We're detaching from ourselves to follow Jesus. But ultimately, it's a, quite an extreme call. So when, when uh, you became a disciple back then, when Jesus called his disciples and he said, follow me, this wasn't a, yeah, just come and we'll meet nine to five in the lecture hall and then you're free to do whatever you want. When, when one, of the, one of the guys comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Lord, let me follow you. And he says, um, the son of man has nowhere to, uh, to, to rest his head. It's like, this is a, this is a full-time this is a full-time thing. This is an extreme thing. This isn't something you do half-heartedly. This is going to take up all of you. <clears throat> and so how do I know Jesus says, when, when I say it's either following him or following yourself, how do I, where do I get that from? I got it from this scripture here, so I'm going to take you there. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to... to uh, well, just 24. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so, to follow him, he sets the conditions there. And we're going to focus on the first one tonight, and that is, you've got to deny yourself. And that's why I say you either going to follow yourself 
or you're going to follow him. And I was thinking about this on the way here, that uh, Jesus came as a man so that we could follow him. That you can only really follow someone in whose image you are made in. You know, like there are all other sorts of weird gods that people profess to follow out there and different weird and wonderful creatures with eight arms and (coughs) elephant trunks and different things. But I love our God is so true and so real and he makes following him so possible that he he creates us in, in his image and likeness so that we can actually follow him. That this isn't an impossible task. He hasn't set us up to fail here. He hasn't said, follow me, and then uh, just like chuckling at watching you try. He says, follow me. He gives you his Holy Spirit so that you actually can follow him. That this isn't an impossible task. And he says, with man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given us his Holy Spirit. But he gave us his Holy Spirit to enable us to follow him because it's his spirit. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as the spirit of Jesus. And it's that spirit that comes into us that enables us to follow him, empowers us, not just enables, empowers us to follow him. And Jesus, um, Jesus was completely selfless. You don't hear about him complain, you don't, hear, you don't hear him murmur, you don't hear him get angry and say, man, I've had it with you guys. If you guys were going to learn, you would have learnt by now. I'm sick of this. Are you serious? You're releasing Barabbas? He killed a guy and I raised the guy from the dead? Are you joking? You, don't, you never hear that in Jesus. You never hear, oh, this is... This is far too much. Get me off this cross. Oh, I've, I've done nothing wrong. Let me go. Three years, Judas, I walked with you. And this is how you repay me? You don't hear that from Jesus. Because there was no self. You don't hear any self in Jesus. And self is the biggest problem. All of us were were born into self because we're born into Adam. And I'll give you an an example. My three kids, I never taught them to fight for things and say, Mine! I don't have to teach them that. They are born with that. Like, I see him do it at a very young age, and I'm like, turn to my wife, I'm like, did you, did you teach him when I'm not home? Like, do you wrestle things out of their hands and yell mine? Like, what, where did it come from? And it's like, that's, that's the, the nature of Adam that they're born with. That's the nature we're all born with. But Jesus says you must be born again. We must be born into his new nature. 
But our old nature is self-focused, is self-centered. <clears throat> and when the, when the devil came to Jesus, um, it's easier to think when, Je- when the devil came to Jesus in the desert, the desert, uh, the, um, Satan was trying to get Jesus to sin. Like, turn these stones into bread. Like, come on, you must be hungry. Like, just, just sin. But I, I don't think so. I think the devil was coming to Jesus and saying, Who's in there? Is there any self in there? Turn these, turn these uh, stones into bread, Jesus. Uh, just who's in there? Is it self? Is there any self gratification in there? The devil came to see who is inside. Is it Holy Spirit, or is it self? And that's what he truly came to him to do. Knock, knock, knock. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it says he'll command his angels concerning you with their hands. They'll support you lest you dash your foot against the stone. Who's in there? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it self-vindication? Then he took him to a high mountain. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. These I shall give you if you'll just bow down to me. Knock, knock. I just came to see who's in there. Is there any self-exaltation in there? Or is it just the Holy Spirit? And Jesus shows it's just the Holy Spirit. There's no self in there. And this is amazing. In John chapter 14, verse 30, when Jesus says, I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. He came looking. He came knocking. He came searching. Who's, who's in there? Because if he could find any self, and he tried, if he could find any self in there, Jesus would have been disqualified. But thank God for you and I. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and completely selfless. And so we can, it's often said in the desert, Jesus said, it is written and he, he defeated Satan with the word of God and that's true. But when I was studying this yesterday, it came to me that he didn't defeat the enemy with the word of God by saying it is written. He defeated himself and by defeating himself, he defeated the enemy. He used the word of God on himself first. So he, when the devil came to him and he said, turn these stones into bread, it's, it's not like Jesus was like, oh man, I, I need a scripture about this. What, uh, let, me, let me recall a scripture. Oh, 
uh, it's written that man should not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the man of God. No, Jesus had applied that to himself already. It wasn't, he didn't bring it out as a defense. He'd already used it to defeat the enemy in himself. So when the enemy came, he could find nothing in him. <clears throat> so what's the, and this is the other thing, what's the point of using the word of God and declaring it like that if self is raging inside? So the enemy has a right the enemy has a right to attach himself to us when we're living out of ourselves. But when we're living out of the Spirit, he's got no right at all. And I want to make this distinction that self, when Jesus says denying yourself, self-denial is not the same as self-control. People mix those two up. Self-denial is not the same as resisting temptation. That's self-control. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Self-denial, when Jesus says deny yourself, that's a spiritual discipline. That's a lifestyle. That's a, that's a day in, day out, walking a lifestyle of self-denial. It's not, oh, this, you know, I've got to try and resist this, this temptation today. No, that's self-control. And that's a, that's a work of the Holy Spirit, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But self-denial is... Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Self-denial is picking up your cross every day. It's not picking up your cross occasionally. It's not looking at one thing and saying, that is my cross. It's a lifestyle of self-denial. <clears throat> Paul says it this way. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That, to me, sounds uh, very similar to Matthew chapter, 20, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus says, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And Paul's saying, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. Do you see how Paul actually walked out what Jesus said? He walked it out and he says it, I've been crucified with Christ. I, I don't live anymore. That's what Paul's telling us. Now, I want to show you this same scripture, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, in the message version. Now, the message version is good to give you a different interpretation. I wouldn't use it as my only source or the only Bible I read from, but it's good to give us a, a deeper understanding of, um, of a certain scripture. So... Galatians 2.20 in the message version. If you don't have it, I can just read it out. You got it? Awesome. <clears throat> so this is Paul talking. He says, what actually took place is this. 
I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. See there? Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. I like this bit. It says, my ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. He doesn't even care what you think anymore. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine. Ah. Remember what I said before about a child saying, mine. We can do that about our own life. When God asks something of us, or Jesus asks us to follow him, we can say, mine. Paul's saying, the life you see me living is not Mine! <laughs> but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. No turning back. So he goes from, he says he, he, he went from being a lawman to a Godman. He's given up his own self-righteousness. He says, Christ's life showed me and enabled me how to do it. That's following Jesus. He says, I identified myself completely with him, with Jesus. No more self-identity. No more self-identifying. No more my identity is what I do. No more my identity is I'm a builder. or I'm not, I, My identity isn't my occupation. My identity isn't my nationality. My identity isn't my village. My identity isn't my family. My identity isn't my social status. My identity is in Christ. I've been crucified. I don't walk in self-preservation anymore. My ego is no longer central. I'm no longer self-centered. All about me. <clears throat> And he's basically saying, when, when he says, oh, I'm crucified with Christ, he's, he's, laying down, he's laid down all his rights. And that's an important one for us to hear these days. Because there's a lot of noise about your rights and what you're entitled to and what you should be fighting for. And, and Jesus says, deny yourself, which is lay down all your rights. It means you give up all your rights. So look at it this way. When, when um, someone says, um, oh, you know, they, they betrayed me. Um, and, you know, I have a right to defend myself. And so, well, um, but you're, you've been crucified. So... Where are, you? Where are you in that? If you're dead to yourself, how can you have rights? Where are your rights if you are dead to yourself? 
Jesus never spoke about his rights. Eve, actually, he, he probably mentioned it a couple of times in demonstrating to, to prove who he w- really was in, in saying, I could summon legions of angels. Um, but he, he never used it as a way to kind of def- defend himself in self-defense or even self-offense. And that's, that's where, as, as people, we can get into that mindset and we say, no, but you know, there's a way that seems right to a man. But we know in the end it leads to death. So we can say, no, that, they don't have a right to do that to me. I've got to defend myself. And I'm not. Hear me out here. Because pe- people will hear this and they'll think, oh, so you're, Jesus was a doormat. You want me to be a doormat? And that's not what I'm saying at all. I, do you want to tell me Jesus was a doormat? Because you could hear this and say, well, are you calling me to be a doormat? That people just walk all over me. Jesus was no doormat. Jesus walked in tremendous power. But he walked in tremendous love. And people hear the, oh, turn the other cheek and think Jesus just uh, wants us to, to cop it all. No. When they came to arrest Jesus and they said, where is he? And he said, I am he. And they fell to the floor. That's not a doormat. That is impressive power and love. He says, they don't take my life, I give it freely. That is not a doormat. And so I'm not standing here telling you to be a doormat either. But when you walk in love and power and grace, you can truly lay down your life. Jesus emptied himself. So what are the different types of self? I've, I've mentioned some of them already. Self-defense or self-offense. That manifests through unforgiveness. It manifests through anger. It manifests through attacking others. But if you've been crucified with Christ, then there's nowhere for that stuff to land. Because how can you say they should have treated me better? You're, you're not there anymore. It's Christ who lives within you now. And this isn't some, uh, uh, some fantasy thing I'm telling you. This is how Christ calls us to live. There is no, they should have treated me better because you are no longer there. You have died and Christ lives in you now. And you never saw it in Christ. So you should never see it in you. <clears throat> so... Self-defense or self-offense. Another one is self-indulgence or self-gratification. Uh, Jesus, he, he turns to the Pharisees and he says, Hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Self-indulgence where you're living for pleasure, constantly looking for pleasure. Your day-to-day is centered around you're getting, and I'm not talking about addictions, I'm talking about just getting a fix of pleasure. And it, you avoid discomfort and pain at all costs. It's like your whole life is set up um, to constantly being a recipient of pleasure. And that's a hedonistic uh, lifestyle. 
where as though pleasure is the highest aim in life. Jesus says, that's been crucified. <clears throat> the passions of the flesh have been crucified. Self-justification. That's another one that bites the dust. Excuses. Yeah, but, oh, it's too hard. It wasn't really time. I tried. It's not my fault. It's not fair. I forgot. I don't know how. That's how I was raised. That's all I know. The devil made me do it. Everyone's doing it. Self-justification is the, you see it in the garden. Adam, where are you? Did you eat of the tree? Yeah, but the woman you gave me made me eat it. Lord, it's kind of your fault. God, Self-deception is another one that's crucified. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. So how do we deceive ourselves? It's when we try or when we believe, or when we go after anything that doesn't line up with God's word. And what does it actually look like? It looks like minimising God's word. When you read something and you say, mm, yeah, but surely it doesn't mean that. That's a bit extreme, isn't it? Surely it's a bit hyperbolic. Surely that scripture... Interpreting it in a way that suits you or looking for a particular interpretation that lines up with what you want. Criticising God's word. Picking and choosing or taking an imbalanced approach. And always, and, and you know what a big one is? is not reading the Word of God and letting the Holy Spirit teach you. And I, I'll give you this example. When I was, I'd just um, been saved and I was on fire for God, I was 21, and I read the Bible and it said, uh, go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor and, and follow me. And I'm like, yep, I'm doing it, I'm selling my, my property I'm, I'm selling everything I got. I bought a backpack and I'm going overseas. I'm going to go and be a missionary. And that's, the Bible said that. So I was just going off what the Bible said. But when I prayed, I felt a, a no in my spirit. It was like, you're not going anywhere. And that was the Holy Spirit saying, nah, nah, that scripture's not for you. Well, it's not for you right now. You're not ready. But God says it in your word 
I'm only, I'm only doing what you're telling me to do. And I literally prepared, I booked my tickets, I was ready to go, and then I had to actually just admit that I was going against God's will. But I remember actually using the scripture against God himself to fight God. So yes, there's scripture, but the Holy Spirit guides you into all truth. so what does it practically look like when we give up our rights and I've got 13 points here the first one is we give up the right to take revenge and I've got a scripture for each one but I won't I won't give each scripture We give up the right to have a comfortable, secure life. Comfortable, secure life. How many of us are pursuing that? If it's not comfort, security. If it's not security, it's comfort or both. We give up the right to a good reputation. I thought when I come to Jesus, things should get better. (laughs) But everyone's turned against me. We give up the right to spend money how we please. Because God directs you now. We give up the right to hate an enemy. We give up the right to be honoured and served. We give up the right to understand God's plan before we obey Him. That's a good one. We give up the right to understand God's plan before we obey Him. Lord, but if you tell me why, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. We give up the right to live by our own rules. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. We give up the right to hold a grudge We give up the right to complain. We give up the right to put self first. We give up the right to express one's sexuality freely. We give up the right to rebel against authority. That's a good list. And... Here's the, here's the thing. Jesus said to the, 
to the rich young ruler who comes to him and he says, Lord, I've, I've done it. I've kept every commandment, everything. I've got a pretty good record here, God, Jesus. Pretty good record. Um, and Jesus says to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, to the rich young ruler, Jesus was actually saying that to him. When I read it, it wasn't for me. <laughs> but when he said it to the rich young ruler, he actually meant it for him. And this is Matthew chapter 19, verse 22, and it says, But when the young man heard, what he, th heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The result of not following Jesus is sorrow. And Paul talks about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And when we decide not to follow, what we end up in is inner worldly sorrow. Where this young man turned his back and we never heard about him ever again. But he went away sorrowful. It's not as though he went away thinking, that's ridiculous, man. I'm, I got this together. He went away sorrowful. He knew. And that's when Jesus is calling us to follow him. He's calling us to, to complete peace, to complete joy, to complete fulfillment in him. And when we don't, what we end up is, is sorrowful. And I love, I love that story of the rich young ruler. Because when Jesus is looking at him, and I think in another, in another book, in one of the other Gospels, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. <coughs> Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I, I meditated on that, and I thought, why, why does it say that? And then it occurred to me, that Jesus too was a rich young ruler. Probably similar age. Tremendous wealth. But he left it all to take on flesh. He emptied himself even to the point of death. And so he saw when he looked this rich young ruler, tongue twister, in the face, he, in a way, he saw himself. He saw his, his own royalty, where he came from. His rightful place in heaven. His majesty. And he loved him. And in, through that love, he said, let me show you the real way. Let me show you true riches. Let me show you true royalty. Let me show you true kingship. Lay it all down, empty yourself, follow me. So that's the first condition. Deny yourself. Have we learnt something tonight? The second one, pick up your cross and follow me. Last time my preacher spoke about uh, Peter, uh, Jesus turning to Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan when Jesus talks about him 
dying. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to let that happen. And we spoke about Peter's unbelief. But Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And I was thinking about it this morning. When Peter was saying to to Jesus, no, Lord, I'm not going to let that happen. What he was actually saying to Jesus was, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Jesus, you don't have to do that. And when Jesus turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. And the Greek word is scandalon. It's a, it's a temptation. He says, you are a temptation to me. And Jesus said that. And for us, it's the same thing. You don't, you don't have to carry your cross. You can avoid the pain of the cross. You can avoid dying to yourself. Jesus has died for you. But Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And Jesus is highlighting here one of the greatest temptations we can face is thinking, I don't have to carry my cross. And Jesus calls him Satan because he's trying to talk him out of the cross. And that is, really, if we think about it, that is the essence of immaturity. When we think we're not, we don't, we're not going to carry our own cross. <clears throat> and one thing I felt to encourage us with is to be careful how we can become a stumbling block for others. So God has put people in your life, you're in other people's lives. Christian brothers and sisters and someone comes to you and says man they betrayed me and how are you gonna how are you gonna respond is it gonna be a hey pick up your cross and follow Jesus or is it gonna be I can't believe they did, they did what they did that to you man if they did that to me I'll be furious I can't believe they did that are you serious oh my gosh what an idiot are you serious? Is it? Who reacts like that? Everyone in Granville. <laughs> but I say it to highlight the distinction, to, to point out the distinction. Because when someone comes to you and they've been betrayed, do you say, hey, how does this change anything about who you are in Christ? And rather than crying because of them, why don't you cry for them? Do we say that to our friends? Do we say it to ourselves first? But when someone comes to us and says that, do we say that to them? Or do we become a stumbling block for that person? We've got to be so careful of that. Because the church can become, this, can become a place where you get together and just uh, gossip and complain about other people and you build a campfire about, uh, and have a sob story and let's see who's got the worst, who's been betrayed the worst. And come, let's compare war stories and see who's the greatest victim. Church can become like that if you're not careful. Right? Instead, saying to your friend, hey, don't let sin against you create sin in you. <clears throat> I, I wanted to touch on these things, and I'm not going to go into them 
in a lot of detail because we don't have a lot of time, but people get the wrong idea about what picking up your cross is. And I'm just going to touch on them. I've got a lot to say about them, but I'm not going to go into them. Picking up your cross is not sickness or disease or infirmity. That is not carrying your cross. He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses on his cross. So you don't have to carry that as your cross. The second one is poverty, failure, oppression. They are not your cross either. Paul says, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. The third one is uh, marital or personal relationships that aren't going well. That is not your cross either. A lot of people say, oh, well, I'm in a bad relationship, but that's, uh, that's the, the cross Jesus um, called me to bear, and I'm just going to get through this until the prump- trumpet blows. <laughs> <laughs> Paul says, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all. And the last one is, it's not a temperamental weakness like anxiety or anything like that. That is not your cross either. So a lot of the time people can get confused and look at that thing and actually um, adopt it as a lifelong thing that they carry because they see it as the cross that Christ has called them to carry and those four things are not them because Christ came so that you'd be free, that you'd be delivered, you'd be healed, you'd be prosperous, you'd be set free. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so how do we, on, on carrying the cross, and I said before about how denying yourself was a lifestyle thing. And I shared this in, in Brazil Jesus was a carpenter. So every day he went to work and he picked up wood and he picked up nails and he'd pick up the wood and go to make a coffee table or a cupboard or I don't know what and he'd pick up a plank and he'd put it on his shoulders and he'd he'd cut it and he'd nail things together and it's like that's not a that's not a coincidence that he was a carpenter it's like he was he became familiar with the instruments of his death every day he played he handled he became acquainted with the very things that would ultimately kill him. It was like he was preparing every day. And so when he says, pick up your cross daily, he prepared daily. Every time he hammered a nail or heard a nail being hammered, I wonder whether he thought, that's what I'm here for. Every time he nailed a cabinet together, he thought of you and me 
and he thought, yeah, I'm preparing. I'm picking up my cross every day so that one day I can be nailed to it for the whole world. Because God so loved the world that he gave me to die every day so that I can die a death on the cross for salvation for all of humanity. <clears throat> so a couple of minor, not minor, but just points to finish up on. How do you do this? The first point I've got is to study yourself. We're saying deny yourself, but you need to study yourself. Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he talks about examining yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And that, that's not to say, am I a believer or, or not? It's actually examine yourself to see how much self is in there that needs to be purged or crucified. And that's not a... That's not a expression of condemnation at all this is for your own freedom it's for our, our freedom it's for our spiritual maturity it's for our own growth so examine yourself how can you die to something that you can't identify how can you die to things in you if you don't know what you have to die to and so when you study yourself in the presence of God, he shows you those things. And it was like Adam, Adam in the garden when, Jesus, when God said, where are you, Adam? And he was hiding because the temptation is to hide from God's presence, to hide from these things, to hide from even identifying these things in yourself. And Adam straight away went and hid. It's like, uh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to see anything that's going on in there. Just let me sew some fig leaves together and get on my way. And God says, where are you? And he's not saying, where are you in the garden? He's saying, where are you? Where is, where is the real you? Where is the you that I created? Because right now I'm seeing someone else. Where are you, Adam? And you, you see the real you by examining yourself in the presence of God. Letting him examine you according to his word. <clears throat> it requires humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 to 8. It says, after he was found in outward appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Picking up your cross daily requires a humility. Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death and in calling us to pick up our cross daily he's saying we need to humble ourselves daily to be real another critical one about how do we follow him John chapter 10 verse 27 he says my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me 
So in hearing his voice, we can deny ourselves. We can pick up our cross and we can follow him. But we need to hear his voice and you only hear that voice in the secret place. <clears throat> and I'll finish with this about following. In 1 Kings chapter 18, this is Elijah on Mount Carmel. And it says this in verse 20 to 22. It says, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. There are 450 other things trying to get you to follow them. Some of them are outside, some of them are within, but there is only one, and that is Jesus Christ. And just as Elijah said, if the Lord is God, follow him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. That some of us may, be, may have been cut by it. But I thank you that though you wound, you also heal. And that on, on the other side of any cut by your word, there is a deep repentance and a deep healing that you perform. We thank you. We're excited about what you're doing here, Lord. We're excited to be laying down our lives. We're excited to be following you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you just reveal more of your truth to each one. That you guide into all truth about themselves, about anything else that may be vying for their attention, anything else they may be following. And if that's you tonight, and maybe something struck a chord with you, 
I'll lead you in a prayer. And that's to say, Lord Jesus, I no longer want to follow that part of me. I no longer want to be resigned to thinking you've given me that cross to bear when it's not from you. Jesus, show me the right thing to die to. Jesus, I renounce all self-exaltation, all self-deceit, all self-indulgence, all self-centeredness. I lay it all at your feet. And I thank you the way he's found in you, the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, you are humble and gentle. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We give you glory for everything you've done in our hearts tonight. We thank you. Bless your people, Lord. Thank you. You pour out your grace and your mercy. Thank you. They are found in your presence. Drinking from the river. Drinking from the source itself. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. If anyone wants prayer, the altar's open. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great week. And we'll see you on Wednesday.